Good evening and welcome to the Journey Church. We're glad you're joining us tonight. We are continuing our study in the flesh of the Spirit. And last week we studied the fruit of the Spirit. The first one was love and tonight is joy. Joy. So if you'll join me in Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 26, I would like to read the whole passage to you and then we will focus on this word Joy. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, contention, excuse me, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit." Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, we began this study on the 5th of August, and I believe we have spent now, this would be the 10th message out of this passage of Scripture. And we began by talking about the flesh and the spirit, which shall we serve? Which shall we serve, the flesh or the spirit? And then we talked about overcoming that conflict. Uh, uh, back on the 19th of August. Uh, we talked about the sin of moral impurity or idolatry and sorcery. We talked about hatred and contentions, jealousy and envy, as well as outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions and heresies. We talked about the sin of intemperance. And then we moved into the fruit of the Spirit, which was love, which we started last week. And tonight we look at the word joy the word joy. Now those who are influenced and directed by the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. As it says again in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, we noted in the previous study that there is not a plurality of fruits, but one fruit. I showed you that with regard to the works of the flesh, it's not a... Works are individual. Each one, the work of the flesh is adultery. The work of the flesh is fornication. The work of the flesh is uncleanness. It's not the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and all that. Those are each individual. The fruit of the Spirit, like we look at a basket of fruit, we don't say, pass me the basket of fruits. We don't say that. Uh, fruit is a collective noun. This is a collective term. And what we discussed last week, last week is that only one fruit that is made up of several interrelated graces or virtues, all of which will be manifested in one truly walking in the Spirit. So you have what we shared with you last week in the message was that you cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit unless you produce all of the fruit. 
So if you are a person that says, yes, I love and I'm kind and I have goodness, but I have absolutely no patience or self-control, you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit. Um, your fruit is rotten. Um, it is not the sum of all of it. And so we as believers are called to produce all of this. Whereas the works of the flesh, we're not to have anything to do with. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, we're to have everything to do with, the whole basket of fruit. So, the pro so what is prominent, of course, is the virtue of love, which we observed. It was defined as an active goodwill. That idea of love is a mindset. I showed you that the way the word was used is a mindset to love. Whether you, It has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with everything, the way you look, the way you act, the way you speak, what you do. is So you have active goodwill, that which seeks the highest good of other people. That's the best we can obtain with that word love that's there in the text. It was best exemplified by Jesus Christ, who through His example has taught us what love really is. And I would have you look over here in John chapter 15. Uh, John 15, verse 13, it says right there, uh, 15, 13, there it is, Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for one's friend. Then you can also cross-reference it with 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. And then there should be this universal motive for all that we do, which we talked about in 1 Corinthians 16.14, which is to actively pursue love, the will to do good for the benefit of others above ourselves. Because the word agape, that word of love that's spoken of here, is the selfless love of God. It's divine love. How can that apply then to a human when the Word specifically speaks to God? Well, we are to be complete in the Lord. We are to be as He is, the Scripture says. And so that is the standard by which we strive. And so as noted in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit also involves joy. So I want you to remember the fruit of the Spirit is not love, and the fruit of the Spirit is not joy. You have one fruit here like an apple, and then joy, which is love, and then joy is an orange. It is one component of the fruit is love. Another component of the fruit is joy, like a human. One component is the hand. Another component is the eyeball. Another component is the knee, and so forth. But we don't say that he's, he's uh, a, a human knee, or his, we, don't, we don't say, okay, I'm going to a human hand surgeon, or a human eye surgeon, or to a human knee surgeon. I'm going to a surgeon who takes care of the body. Okay? Do, do we understand that? Have we made that kind of clear? Okay. So it's interesting, however, to note the relationship between the Holy Spirit and joy in several passages. So you might want to lick your fingers here because we're going to look at a few places. Um, for example, go over to Romans chapter 14 and let me show you something. I'm talking about a comparison between the Holy Spirit and joy. In Romans chapter 14, it speaks of the kingdom of God. Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Then over in 1 Thessalonians, you know, go to the right. You go past our passage in Galatians. You'll go over to 1 Thessalonians. If you've gone to James, you've gone too far like I did. 
It's right before Timothy, uh, 1 Thessalonians, and it's, of course, right before 2 Thessalonians. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Joy of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, here in our text in Galatians, it talks about love and joy, you know, as a fruit of the Spirit. So there you have this, this combination in two biblical passages prior to mentioning it in Galatians, which interpretedly is known as the law of first mention. You have this idea of joy in the Holy Spirit or with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the fruit of the Spirit naturally would be what? Joy, right? All right. So therefore, one who's led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit will be someone filled with much joy in his or her life. That, that doesn't mean that they're going to be walking around on cloud nine all the time. But that does mean that, that no matter what the circumstances are in their heart, the bent of their mind and their heart is that of joy, the joy of the Spirit. Even though, I mean, you know, you're out cutting wood and you drive the axe in between your toes, you know, you, you're probably not going to utter anything that has anything to do with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that joy is absent. Um, it just means you need to go to the emergency room. Um, oddly enough, I know this pain very well twice. And uh, it is the reason they invented iron or steel-toed boots. And it had something to do with my father, so uh, needless to say. But what is joy? How can a Christian be filled with joy? How can a Christian be filled with joy? As we seek to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, how can we produce joy if we don't really know what joy is? Well, I'm, sadly to say, I wish I could tell you it was otherwise, other, other, another way, but uh, joy is mentioned various ways in the Scripture, not just by the word that is used, but also by the sense with its use. Uh, the first word, I, I, and you need to know the word, is I think is the word kara, C-H-A-R-A. And the reason I use that word is my daughter was my firstborn, is, well, she still is my firstborn, and um, I named her Kara Grace. And so if you take the word Kara, you, as I'm defining it here, it would be joy. Okay, that's, that's how I used well, but that's not how I used it in her name. But Kara, when I say Kara, that's the word joy. Okay, idiomatically, it means God's most wonderful gift. Okay, that's how it's used since. So that's why her name is Kara Grace. God's most wonderful gift, grace. Her name's not Joy Grace. Her name is God's most wonderful gift, grace. Now, you know, a nerd has to figure that out that's been to seminary, but that's okay. The Greek word kara is joy, okay? It's joy. Uh, it is considered the word joy or gladness. If you have an old Vines dictionary at home, it also means delight, it also means delight. Whoever marries Kara Grace, he may decide that, that her name Kara means delight. He may, but, but when he talks to me, it's God's most wonderful gift. Uh, but to, and if she went to seminary in a Greek class, they'd say your name means joy. Okay? That's how it's used here. 
It is not used idiomatically here in, in Galatians. It means what it says, kara, joy. All right, it's the word joy. But one count of this word used this way, it appears 60 times in the New Testament. Okay, the word kara, joy. All right, the verb form, but that's the noun, kara. So we can talk about joy as a noun. Like you say, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Okay, well, we're on TV, so we won't do that. Okay, so, so that's, I've got the noun joy, noun joy, noun joy, noun joy down in my heart. That's the noun. But joy is also a verb. And that's the word karen. Okay, karen. C-H-A-I-R-E-I-N. Uh, not to be confused with uh, the word they use for people today that, uh, you know, the people that run across the street and get mad at you for having a, an American flag in your yard and complain to the neighborhood association. Those are called karens. Uh, if you've not been familiar with that term, that's a new term you need to be familiar with. People that are upset because you're walking on the wrong side of the sidewalk or they're just upset they're a Karen. And you don't have to be a female to be a Karen. Um, we have a, never mind, uh, has nothing to do with, with anyway. But, but the Greek word, the verb there is Karen, and that means this is the word used to rejoice, Okay. So probably people that have the name Karen, their name means to rejoice. You know, if that's important to you. Um, uh, this word is used more than the noun. It's used more than the noun. It's used 72 times in the New Testament. Karen. So there is joy and then there is to rejoice. Okay? All right? Then there is one more related to this word, and it's the word for which we get the word grace, charis, C-H-A-I-R-S, charis. Charis is also one. This is most often translated as charis. So I could say Kara Grace's name is Kara Charis. Okay? Kara Grace. Okay? Uh, Bynes defines grace in the object sense. So here it is in the object. Okay, that which bestows or occasions pleasures, delight, or causes favorable regard. Okay, so this is charis. Now this is important to us, and so what do we need to know then from this little this little study? Charis, grace, produces joy. That's what that's why I took you through this little rabbit hole. Kara produces, or charis produces kara. Joy is produced from grace. Now, there's a connection that I need to show you because it's relevant between joy and grace. I've got to show you this connection. So you might write down the connection between grace and joy. And I have three things to say about it. Number one, One's joy, and this is very important, this is a pastoral statement. Uh, it's a, it, I think you will agree with me. One's joy is directly proportional to the grace one has received. Now let me tell you what we mean when we say directly proportional. I'm not going to assume that you remember direct proportions from high school math. Okay, 
I'm not going to assume that. But proportions are simple. If you increase one side of an equation, you have to increase the other side, the same amount. So I'll give you an example from cooking. You double a recipe. Okay? So Gene, how many of you just are so grateful, rejoicing, that Gene brought pie tonight? <laughs> Do you realize we have not had a pie probably in 2020? <laughs> so she has, she has shown great caris to us through her act of caring and uh, brought Kara to our heart. <laughs> but she made two. And I'm sure she made George one too, because normally she makes a pie and then makes him one. We will be sure to eat it. Or you can just leave it here. I can bring the pie. I mean, I've, I, so I've not had a pie and I've lost 60 pounds. So see, that's what happens. Now, now, Betty, you could bring a pie and help us too. When you start fattening Gideon up, just bring some of that fried chicken over here. Um, uh, but when you've got to make two pie crusts, you have to double the recipe of one pie crust. So if it calls for two cups of flour, you have to use four, right? Right? If it calls for six tablespoons of water, you've got to use... Well, not an experienced pie cook, but yes. It's, so that's a direct relationship. In an inverse relationship, one increases, the other decreases. Okay, that's an inverse relationship. An example of that would be a boat taking on water. Uh, the more water it takes on in the hole, the less air that is in the hole, thus the reason the boat sinks. Okay? So a direct relationship is this, the more grace you experience in your life, guess what? The more joy you're going to experience, right? That's a direct relationship. So, so here's the idea. One's joy is directly proportional to the grace one has received, or at least to the perception of grace that one has received. Receive a small gift, your joy is going to be minimal. Receive a small gift and your joy is going to be minimal. Receive a large gift and your joyous reaction is greater. Right? Yeah? Okay. Number two, when Christians don't have much joy in their lives, there's something wrong. I think that's fair to say. Wouldn't you agree? When somebody who, who espouses the faith says they're a Christian and they don't have much joy in their life, something's wrong. Well, the man that led Billy Graham to Christ was a guy named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was the great baseball player that, that uh, became a, a, a preacher. Actually, it was not Billy Sunday. It was Mordecai Ham. Billy Sunday led Mordecai Ham to, to Christ. But Billy Sunday was the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. All right? And uh, uh, he, was, uh, he, he said, if you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. You got a leak. Okay? And then here's number three. Here's one explanation of why Christians may be joyless from a great man named William Gurnall. He made this comment. He said, The reason why many poor souls have so little heat of joy in their heart is they have so little light of the gospel knowledge in their mind. They have so little of the gospel knowledge in their mind. The further a soul stands from the light of truth, the further he must needs be from the heat of comfort. 
Okay? So those are just some things to remember. And so here's something to take away at this point. We're still talking about the definition of joy. I've shown you the three words. I've shown you the connection between grace and joy. But uh, I want now to speak about the joy of the Lord is abiding. The abiding, A-B-I-D-I-N-G, the abiding joy of the Lord. Um, go over in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Well, we, we've already been there. We've already been. John 15, 11. The Lord certainly does not want a Christian to be joyless. All right? Oh, well, I'm just supposed to suffer. Yeah, you are. But you're to suffer with joy. You're to demonstrate that, that, that the suffering of the lost is incomparable to the suffering you're suffering. Your suffering is to be a, a, a testimony to those who suffer without hope. As I showed you in the message Sunday, if, if, if you do not suffer, if you're lost, then your suffering has no gain to it. There's no benefit to it. But your suffering, as I showed you on Sunday, was the very proof that you have an imperishable inheritance. If you didn't see that, I, I, told, I recommend you watch the last three Sunday sermons, Sunday messages. The joy He gives is inexplicable and full of glory. It is able to sustain, sustain us in the worst possible circumstances. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-8, through 8, it says, "...in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials." that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice, there's that word, with joy, inexpressible, and full glory. So you rejoice, that's the grace, that's the, the rejoicing. And with joy, that's the noun, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your salvation and the joy of your souls. On the Monday night prayer call for the nation, which, you know, you get those emails, it, you know, we're 20 days away. I, I might suggest you get involved in that. Just get online. You don't have to talk. But this last week, boy, I'm telling you what, they were praying. And I was out walking and just listening to them pray. And, and I was so happy. Uh, just just listening to these folks, but the Lord prompted me to to give them a word at the end, and so I I turned on and I said, if the election doesn't go my way on November third, how am I going to be different on November fourth? I'm not going to be any different. There is nothing that election can do to change me and the way I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They may say I can't go to church. They may decide to take this Bible from me. They may it may cost me my life, but they cannot take the church out of me. They cannot take the Word out of me. And, and they can take the life out of me, but they can't do anything with my spirit. And it's not going to come to that. But if it does, and I, and I said, you know, if they came, now I'm going I'm to say something really strong here that is, is kind of hurtful. But you know, I, and I, but I said this to my family. I said, if they told me you have to revoke your faith or we're going to kill your children in front of you, it's like, well, I'll see you when we get there. Because I've prepared my children. Why, how could you do that? Because this isn't home. This is not my home. There, there's a lot of people up there in that place up there I want to see again. But I'm going to tell you what, if I don't get to see any of them, that's fine. Because there's one cat I want to see. And his name is Jesus.
And so if they come to my house and say, revoke your faith or your kids are going to have the midnight cry, well, then, then, then kids, play the man. Play the man. And, and so that's it. So what if they do that to your wife? I said, play the man. What if they do it to your dogs? Okay, I, I, I play the dog. <laughs> now we'll just eat the dog. Um, the, and you say, that's ridiculous. There, that, that is, it, 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 folks, that is not ridiculous. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The circumstances don't change us. I want to tell you a little bit about watching the politics going on right now. If you really think we're going to lose this election, I just want you to look at all the people that are not panicking. Mitch McConnell's not panicking. He's going to lose the Senate. The President's not panicking. He's going to lose the White House. There are people that aren't panicking. The folks that are panicking are the ones that know they're about to get tossed out of office. Speaker of the House, uh, you, you, Chuck Schumer, all of those folks, they're panicking because they know what's coming. The silent majority is speaking up. And I would say a large group of that are the born again. Not all of them, but are the born again. We've had enough. You say Black Lives Matter, then quit allowing 23 million black babies to be murdered in this country. You say that, that abortion is a moral issue. No, it's not. It is sanctity of life, and the government says in the Declaration of the Independence that we believe that all men are created equal. So sanctity of life begins at conception, it ends at death, and if you're not only against abortion, you need to be against euthanasia as well. And you say, that's going to cost you saying that, but I have the joy of the Lord. What can they do? Even Jesus laid down on the cross and showed us how to behave. What did He say? Why, you sorry Romans, if you only knew. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah? Amen. This is real stuff. There is no reason to be anxious. This is why we're told to be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in our heart. And you know what? You're never going to ever know if you can stand the test or not until you go through it. And so the prayer is that they'd that when the time comes, Lord, help me play the man. Help me play the woman. You say, what do you mean play the man? The guy that probably knew the Apostle John was a guy named Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop at Smyrna. In the Revelation, there is a letter to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna had a pastor by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp was probably ordained by John the Apostle. And they came to burn him at the stake in front of the great amphitheater of people. And he went to the stake, and they lit it a fire. And they said, Revocari, revoke the name of Jesus. And the Christians in the crowd said, play the man. Play the man, Polycarp. And the fire began to burn him and light up, and it would not consume him. It hurt. 
but it would not consume him, and he would not die. He was conscious. And so finally, the executioner had pity on him and just ran a spear through him. And in the book called Fox's Book of Martyr, which that is the first story in Fox's Book of Martyr, it says that when the spear went into the fire, out came a, out, when a spear went into the fire, out came a dove. Now, whether that happened or not, that's the, that's the testimony of the people that saw it. And Polycarp was no more. But he was more. And if you look at the church at Smyrna in your revelation, you will see it is not one of those churches they're sitting there doing this to. He was the pastor. Play the man. May we never have to experience that. But if we have, why could Polycarp do that? He had the joy of the Lord. Uh, this last week was the, was the remembrance of Wycliffe's burning at the stake, the man who interpreted the Bible translated into English. And before he was burned alive, he, they were saying, oh, this is terrible. He said, but tonight I will have supper with my Savior. He had such a strong testimony that after they burned him alive and the Bible took off, they went and dug up his bones and burned them again. John Wycliffe. And you have the Wycliffe Bible translator. That's the joy of the Lord. That's not because they had some superhuman strength. They was, these were men. There's women the same way. They faced their death standing upright. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when they hung him, he was the one that was the theological behind theological evidence or proof behind the Valkyrie plot to kill Hitler. Joined the Nazi party to infiltrate them. When they hung him, the man that had hung thousands and thousands of thousands of people, he said, "Never have I." He was a surgeon. He said, "Never in my life have I ever seen anyone so gloriously ready to meet, meet his Maker and die with such peace." inexpressible on his face. He was hung by piano wire, so that means he was strangled to death. That's an amazing story to me, how these men die. And it's because they have the joy of the Lord in their heart. So therefore, unlike a passing pleasures of sin which are fleeting, even the good things in life eventually prove to be vanity. Uh, Solomon, who had everything under the sun, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, vanity is vanity. It's all just vanity. I mean, 300 wives and 700 concubines, or even if I got the number wrong, it's, it, it's just wrong what he had, you know? Um, a failure to remember these things graciously given to us which make for joy in our lives can explain why some Christians have, have, uh, don't even have a degree of joy. And I know some people, they're just not here. <laughs> But um, hey, uh, there's, a, there's a man back, he was with a, a James Dobson, and by the way, I put a James Dobson video on my Facebook page. You really need to go watch it uh, about the election. If you can, just go, you don't have to like it, but go on my Facebook page and look at the James Dobson. It's seven minutes. I highly recommend you listen to it. Um, uh, Hayden Robinson is the man's name, and he said, the, the only men that make it in ministry are the men that can handle the joy suckers. And he says that every minister, every place he goes, are going to have people that when they walk in, it is their conscious or subconscious goal to suck the joy out of the moment. And if you cannot handle that, you'll never make it in ministry. I remember that before I entered the pastorate.
but I was being trained in the seminary, and I have lived by that rule. But I have found that, that there's nothing I can do to stop the vacuum cleaner of joy suckers, but there is one thing I can sure give them something to suck on, and that is ear uh, is, is a replenishable joy. Because where I get my joy doesn't come from anyone else. And I would dare say probably not from you either. You don't have your joy based on that. You don't let your circumstances determine your joy. Jesus does. Amen? So if, if, Sunday, if on November 4th we are going to become a socialist nation, well then we're going to be, we're going to be the happiest socialists that ever lived. And uh, that's that because uh, we, we, we belong to another, another realm. But don't worry, you're not. Uh, Christians have every reason to be joyful. So let me give you number two, the source, the source of joy for the Christian. I have uh, five things here that I'm going to do in 12 minutes. So here we go. Letter A, joy is the consequence of faith. Joy is the consequence of faith. Joy comes from having a confident trust in God. That's Philippians 1.25. A confident trust in God. Without faith in God in Christ, we cannot experience abiding joy. And why is this faith essential to joy? Because it dispels the attitudes that prevent joy from occurring, such as worry, worry, and doubt, and fear. So you can cross-reference that with Matthew 6.25-30 regarding worry and what Jesus said about doubt and fear in Matthew 14, 27 through 31. So without faith in God and, and Christ, we cannot experience abiding joy. And, uh, uh, and it is essential to prevent the attitudes that keep joy from occurring. And since joy is based upon faith, this emphasizes the importance of the Word of God in producing joy. For faith comes from the Word of God. What is Romans 10, 17? Those of you that have been listening to me now almost 10 years, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 14, 10, 17. Okay? The Word of God produces faith, and in turn it produces joy. You want a biblical proof for that? Romans 15, 13. So if you write, just go Romans 10, 17, equal sign with an arrow, Romans 15, 13. Word produces faith, faith produces joy. Okay? And we've learned that's a direct relationship. Okay? The very teachings of Jesus are designed to give us joy in John 15, 11, which we've referred to now three times in John 17, 3. All right? So thus the need to read and study the Bible daily. Um, there's a group of folks that are working in a thing right now where they are reading, they are soaking in the New Testament Gospels. They are soaking up uh, uh, in the Word of God, Proverbs and Psalm with these huge wide passages of Scripture. And I was visiting with one of them the other day and they said, I, 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 the, the benefit I have received from this reading of Scripture like it is is I just never imagined I could have anything like this. And again, when you read Scripture, you don't need to read Scripture like you got to go teach a Sunday school class or teach a sermon. Read the Scripture. When something jumps out at you, just write the verse down and keep going on. And then come back, because that's where the Lord wants to camp out today with you. And you know, if you're reading, if you're reading four pages of your Gospel, 
you're not going to be examined over them. I'm sure not going to examine you. It's just, are you honest? What is it telling you? And what did you hear? Well, hear this passage today that struck me as the joy of the Lord. Okay. Well, then, then do a little research on that if you want. Okay? Letter B. Joy is also the result of obedience. It's the consequence of faith. It's the result of obedience. Obedience to the Word of God fosters joy in the hearts of the obedient. Um, you have that in the conversion of the Samaritans. Uh, you saw that. You know, they went in rejoicing. Uh, you had the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 who was converted. Actually, these are both in Acts chapter 8. Uh, you know, he was immediately baptized. Uh, and the conversion of the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1 6, the joy of. But conversely, disobedience dispels joy and produces fear. And I want us to look at that one. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I don't know about you, but I still have a problem with disobedience. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Okay? So that is a, that, that's a passage, if your Bible's marked like mine, it says the just shall live by faith. But when we walk in willful disobedience, we just kind of have this fearful expectation that, that something's going to happen. And, and, in, and in our case, it is the relationship with the Lord becomes strained, and that is fearful. Um, so could a lack of joy, here's a question I would have you, could a lack of joy be an indicator of a lack of obedience on your part? You have to answer that. That's just your own question. Could the, if you're experiencing a lack of joy, is that because there is a lack of obedience? It is, again... A direct relationship. The more the obedience, the more the joy. The more lack of obedience, the lack of joy. Letter C, joy is based upon forgiveness. It's a consequence of faith. It's the result of obedience. It is based upon forgiveness. The guilt of sin is a major reason why many people lack joy. Many people lack joy because of the guilt of sin. Awareness of such guilt causes stress, unhappiness, and worry. Even Paul illustrated this describing the condition of one struggling with the problem of sin in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 24. I'm going to just go ahead and read it because I have the time to do it. Romans chapter 7, 22 through 24. It says right here, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity, the law of sin which is also in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But let me just read the rest of it. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? We started that message series on the 19th of July and still in it. Uh, on Sunday morning, we have, we have uh, I've already outlined it. It's almost, I probably will have it put to bed in the morning. Um, oh my. It's, it's just, what, what we're taught is just so amazing, what the, what, what the Scripture teaches us. I, I hope I can do it justice in trying to preach it. But where there is forgiveness, there can be joy. Uh, I'm just going to run through these for time. Psalm 32, for example. 
David introduces a theme of speaking of joy and with the word blessedness of one whose sins are forgiven. You are blessed that your sins are forgiven. Amen? He describes how the guilt of his sin affected him inwardly. Uh, but at last he confessed his sin and was forgiven. He describes the joy that the righteous can experience in Psalm 32. So if you want to go read a psalm about joy and your sin and grace and obedience, just go home tonight before bed and read Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is one of the most favorite psalms of many believers. The correlation between forgiveness and joy is seen in Psalm 51. You know, that's the psalm he wrote after he was caught 18 months later uh, from uh, taking advantage of Bathsheba. Today those in Christ can enjoy the forgiveness of sin and that joy that follows. And that's Romans chapter 5. That's what Romans chapter 5 is all about. And we're given the great hope. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the hinge post on which the door of Romans turns. You know, the, the, as I taught a, a group Sunday night, the theme of Romans is that the just shall live by faith. That's, that's, that's how the just shall live. The just shall live by faith, and we move from faith to faith. That's how we live. But he then shows us the bad news in Romans chapter 5. He says, now, here's the bad news. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And that's the hinge on which then the base, the theme of the book, he, he plants the anchor. And uh, so, praise the Lord. If you have not received the forgiveness found only in Christ, there's no way you're going to experience abiding joy. You look at these folks that are, that are on TV and, you know, got the big houses and mansions and they're famous for the big screen and they all kind of have a similar thing in common. Drugs, alcohol, sex, everything in the world that leads down the same path to death, you know? Um, but there are a few people in Hollywood, very, very few, uh, probably not working right now, <laughs> that are zealous for the Lord. You know, they really have a zealous faith for the Lord. And uh, Jim Caviezel, for example, just did the movie Infidel. Uh, he was the, in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, he was the one that played Jesus. Um, so, Letter D, joy also comes from Christian fellowship. All of you feel better because you came here tonight, right? You're, you're happy, you're stuffed, and you're getting a lesson. Uh, it, it's good to be together. It's a joy to see this fellowship. Uh, how much more is it a joy experiencing it? You know, it's one thing to see. It's a whole other thing to experience it, right? To experience that joy. Letter E, Joy comes from Christian service. There is joy of spreading the gospel. You have the picture of Barnabas in Acts chapter 10 where he rejoiced at the conversion of the people at Antioch. Uh, the Christian Jews delighted to hear the, of the conversion of the Gentiles in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there is great joy in seeing spiritual progress in others. I, I can tell you there is great sadness in seeing the decline of spiritual progress in people, and there's great joy in seeing the increase in them. We had a term a man invented for me in post, and, and, and it was that person's headlights had come on. That was, that was just the term. It was a coat and said, man, I'm seeing some headlights here. 
sometimes they were on high beam. You know, they were so they were so holier. Now we had to say, you need to put your low beam. You know, a little fog light or something. But we'd say we just would see the headlights. And then when when we would study and we would have our own Bible study time and we would have our own discipleship together as men, there would be a moment and say, hey, looks like your headlights are coming on. And that was just that was just a term. Well, there's a great joy in that, and it and there is a great sorrow seeing people turn their lights out, but it happens. Um, there's great joy in seeing this progress. There was a frequent source of joy to Paul, and why was it a joy to Paul? Because Paul was a teacher. You know, he was a teacher. That's one of the reasons that Amy Grinnan Barrett, you know, her name's Amy Coney Barrett, but I'm calling her Amy Grinnan Barrett. Amy Grinnan-Barrett is sitting up there with a notepad that says U.S. Senate on it and nothing else, and they're throwing the kitchen sink at her, accusing her of all this stuff, and she's just sitting there knowing, you know what, she's not looking at them and saying, you stupid senators, because I don't think she's doing that. She's an educator. Leave us to do that. She's an educator. She's sitting there going, okay, they don't understand how the law applies here, and I have to show deference because they're going to vote on me, but, but I'm going I'm to try to win them. And I've heard she's already won some Democrats. So that's great in the full Senate. So that's great. That's exciting to hear. We'll see. And, uh, um, but, but just as we're seeing live this woman educate on television, um, Paul saw the great joy in the progress people made because he was an educator. And uh, that's a good thing. John wrote that this was his highest form of joy in 3 John verse 4. That was his highest form of joy, was not to see people saved. His highest form, form of joy was to see people grow in their faith. Right? Right. One reason this is true is that so many whom have brought to Christ will not only be a source of joy for us now, but especially as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that they will be a source of joy to Jesus. That is one of the reasons why I am completely intent on continuing to study the Word of God as a Christian man, as a man in Christ, because I want Jesus, when He comes to get me, to be pleased with my progress. I want to be a source of joy to Him. Right? He called me to be a preacher. That, that's His business. I think He should have called me to fly for American Airlines myself. Uh, but he, he called me to, to be a preacher. But even if I was an American Airlines pilot, I still would want him to be happy with the progress I've made. And so that's why, you know, that's why I sometimes seem a little archaic to you. It's just, some things just got to share them. Jesus spoke of this blessedness of giving to others. There are people, have, you met, have, you, have any of you ever met a giver? I mean a person... That's what they do. They're a giver. I mean, they just, they just give it away. I have. We've had one in our church before. Maybe we have some now. Um, but I mean, it was just their, that was just their joy to give. And I mean, I'm talking about they could give, they could change your life, give. Uh, but, but that's just the Lord gave them the gift of giving. And I'm not talking about to the church budget. I'm talking about I mean, we, we, we've bought, this church has bought a car for somebody. We've done $5,000 root canal before. Uh, George, what else have we done? And, and you know what? To no one that still comes to this church, we've paid for funerals. We've done all kinds of stuff. 
They don't stay, but they give. But we give anyway. And it was something that was given to give. You know, let me give through the church. I did hear this week that one church gave their pastor a brand new Corvette. It's that church up there by Home Depot. That's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a deal. Well, well, let me tell you something. Let me just tell you all something. A Stearman biplane costs less than that. And if, if you wanted to do a Corvette, and, no, wait a minute, if you wanted to do a Corvette and a, and a uh, what do they call it, a G-Wagon? If you wanted to do a Mercedes-Benz G-Wagon, that would be hangar rent for at least 20 years. So just, just letting you know. Uh, I did, are you serious? I mean, that just went out on Facebook. Serious? I'm serious. Rick Huddleston said that. Okay. All those who are willing to become involved in such a no, all those who are willing to become involved in serving the Lord, whether it be through teaching or giving of one's time, energy, and money, will experience joy from the service. And this is the truth. There is joy in the service. So in conclusion, the wonderful joy of the Lord is open to all who would receive it. It's open to all who will receive it through such things as I have just shown you. Faith in Christ obedience to His will, forgiveness in His blood, fellowship with His disciples, and service in His kingdom. I have not ever met a believer who boasts about not going to church and is a happy person that I'd want to go to church with. I still have yet to meet that person. And I know plenty of people who say they don't want to go to church because those people aren't perfect. Well, I've got news for you, neither and the folks that are in the hospital are sick. But the hospital doesn't, doesn't, isn't in business for well people. It's in the business for sick people, right? And the church is a hospital. But I've not ever met a person who high-handedly says, I'm not going to go to church. I'm done with church or whatever. And there's nothing about them that can convince me that they're joyful. Because they're not. Because there's joy in fellowship. And it is that kind of joy that can, can, can sustain us through life. As Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Certainly those who are born of the Spirit, those who are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, will be involved in all these things. As a consequence, they will produce the, the spiritual fruit of joy. But why not begin experiencing that today? If you're not in this joy, then it's very simple you don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to get out of your seat. Just start obeying the gospel. Obey the gospel of Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. I shared with a group two weeks ago. I said, when Jesus lowered the boy, or when the, the disciples lowered that boy through the ceiling, you know, and John lowered him down, and they tore the hole in the roof, the first thing Jesus said to that boy that couldn't walk, said, your sins are forgiven. He didn't say, get up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. And what I was sharing with that little group in that Bible study was simply that Jesus Christ is all about healing the estrangement before He is about healing the malady. And He showed us that in the text. And of course, the Pharisees said, who are you? You're a blasphemer to forgive sins. And Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. 
And they're saying, rise up and walk, because he says he knew what they were thinking. And so Jesus said, rise up and walk. And the reason that he did it is because in that moment, in his sovereign grace, he healed the estrangement with that boy by declaring your sins are forgiven. So for, go to the Lord and confess your sins. He wants to heal the estrangement. Amen? Amen? That's what we learn. And participate in the fellowship of the church of Christian love as you work towards bringing others to salvation in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. It's sharp and true. We thank you, Lord, for our time of learning about joy. Lord, we did not exhaust the subject, but maybe we are... Uh, maybe we are exhausted with what we have heard. It is our prayer that uh, we would apply these principles of faith and obedience, forgiveness, fellowship, and service ever more importantly in our life if we find that there is a lack of joy in our hearts. If, we, if, if there is something that is hindering our joy, Lord, strengthen our faith and obedience. Drive us to forgiveness and fellowship and service in the kingdom. We love you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that all of these commands you give us we are going to be able to accomplish because like commands they are also like promises. And concerning those in Christ Jesus they are all yea to us. We ask your blessings on us as we go in peace in the name of Jesus Christ. Our hope and our joy. And all of God's people said... Amen. God bless you and thank you for joining us tonight.